time of year in which so many people are traveling, a lot of vacations are being taken, and so as a result, when we come to the house of the Lord, it's easy for us to look at a pretty slim crowd and just kind of look forward to the last amen of everything when we go home, but we are having church. Praise God. Praise God. We have the Thorpes on vacation. Brother and Sister Wittenbacher on vacation. We have the Dishes on vacation. And then we have Brother and Sister Crowder on vacation. Who else is on vacation? And uh, Kath is on vacation, she says. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians, the first chapter. Thursday evening, remember our service. I made mention of this, but I will be teaching. Thursday evening, we'll be returning from camp Wednesday night or Thursday morning. But we're expecting a great time in the Lord. Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 7, the Bible says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Isn't this a beautiful scripture? In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. God bless you. You may be seated. And we want tonight to talk to you on the subject, cleansing blood. You know, the Lord's blood has the ability to cleanse the sin of man. I talked this morning about the soul. The reason why I'm making reference to this is because that there is a part of man that you cannot see with your eyes. Man is made up of body, that which we see, and then, of course, soul and spirit, that which we can not see. Now, any person here who would have a visible defect in his flesh, such as a skin cancer or a tumor or something, you, be, you would become really alarmed about it and you would seek a way in which you could get that thing taken care of or removed. How would you feel if all of a sudden in the middle of the night you woke up with some pain maybe around your throat and you walked to the mirror and you took a look and you could see a reddening effect somewhere on your throat. And within days that thing broke out into a running cancer. Now right away you'd want some help, wouldn't you? You sure would. There is no doubt about it. You would want some help. And you would seek a method of relief. Because that we cannot see the inner man, it is easy for us to forget about that 
which we can not see. One of the greatest hindrances to revival is this, that people begin to substitute the visible for the invisible. You see, God can come down and bless a church to such great extent that the church sees the physical blessings and all of a sudden they leave off or forget about the invisible things that takes place among a group. And because that you cannot see the soul and you cannot see the spirit of man, it is easy for you to neglect that particular part that you can not see with your eyes. Yet on the other hand, all of us understand that there is an inner man. And we understand that he has basic and vital needs. Now if you do not even believe in a God, you understand that there is a certain part of you that is invisible. Your emotional structure and such is invisible. It becomes visible through nervous tensions and, and, and conduct that, that is very, very apparent uh, to not only yourself but other people. And you understand quite often that, that there is an absence of peace in your mind and in your heart. And you search for things that will bring inner happiness. But for some reason, because that you cannot see your soul and you cannot see your spirit, you have a tendency to neglect that which you cannot see with your natural eyes. And going back to my statement a few minutes ago, a lot of revival movements and revival churches replace the invisible for the visible. And so today, the extent of their movement is some great big building someplace. Even though they don't have a lot of people, they have a nice facility. And even though they are not doing much for mankind as far as helping him along life's road, they certainly have a lot to brag about when it comes to buildings and such. And they give no real thought to structuring things to help the quality of human life on the face of the earth. Oh, I tell you, I trust that we'll never reach a place, at least Calvary Gospel Church will never reach a place, in which we substitute the invisible for the visible. And I made this statement before, and I believe that I still feel this way. I'd rather rip up all of our red carpet and take off all of our padded pews and throw sawdust on the floor and have a revival church than have all the visible nice things and people sit in comfort and die in their soul and in their heart. It is very important that when we come to church we feel something. And not only us, but everybody that comes to be with us. 
that they feel the effects of a God that is alive and a Savior that's real and one that walks our aisles and one that talks to our hearts. Praise God. I feel victory here tonight. Let's clap our hands in great victory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The Bible tells us that the church is purchased with the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is such a very, very important thing. Now I want to talk about the blood for a few moments here as it relates to Bible salvation. So I'd like for you to turn with me to a passage of Scripture that I use in all probability as much as I use any passage, and that's 1 Corinthians 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is dealing with a subject entitled the gospel. I would say that if you ask the average Christian, that is the average person who claims to be Christian, what is a gospel? They might be able to tell you good news. Gospel is the good news, but they wouldn't be able to tell you what the good news is all about. And you see, there is a great difference. While you may understand that the word gospel comes from two Greek words, God spell, which means good news. More importantly is that you know what the good news is all about. 1 Corinthians 15 Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. We're saved by what? By the gospel. Not just by the, uh, the good news that we hear, but the good news that we keep in memory and the good news that we obey. Notice what he says. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory, what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now they believed on the gospel, they kept it in memory. Notice this. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Paul received the gospel. He didn't just hear the gospel. He didn't just keep in memory the gospel. He didn't just believe in the gospel. He received the gospel. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ died. Why did he die? He died for our sins. Now notice verse 4. And that he was buried... And that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then, of course, Paul speaks of the apostles who were witnesses of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. Now, the gospel is the good news. But the good news is this, that Jesus Christ died, that Jesus Christ was buried, and that Jesus Christ arose again. Paul says, now we believe in this, we keep in memory this, we preach this, but not only do we believe it, not only do we keep it in memory, but we also have received it. How do you receive his death? How do you receive his burial? And how do you receive his resurrection? Now that is a very, very important thing. Now, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians, the first chapter. (coughs) 
It just seems to me like the Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, and Colossians, they, they have so much to say, these epistles, about the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord. So Colossians, the first chapter, verse 9, notice what the Apostle Paul is saying. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with a knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I praise God for spiritual understanding, don't you? There are a lot of people who can reason things, but some people seem to lack the ability to understand spiritual things. I have seen a lot of good brothers and a lot of good sisters who just seem to have everything together from a standpoint of having a good uh, uh, moral character and such. But to talk about the Lord and to perceive things of the Spirit, it just was not a part of them. But God wants to give us spiritual understanding. Now verse 10 says, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Praise God. Aren't you glad that God gives us joy as we walk down life's road? And I'll tell you, I believe that one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism is a lack of joy by the participants uh, that are involved in, uh, participants rather, who are involved in the preaching of the gospel. There are a lot of people who are going out preaching the gospel that they seem to have a real lack of true joy. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I do not know of anything that I have ever experienced in this world that has brought joy to my heart and to my soul like my relationship with my God. Praise the Lord. I love it. I love it. I love it. Praise God. With all my heart, I love it. And I made this statement after the ABI Quartet had concluded their presentation last Thursday evening. But as I listened to them sing and the Lord seemed to get a hold of my heart and we were dancing in the Spirit and I was way on the back back there, all of a sudden there just came over me such a flood of joy and there was such an appreciation, I caught myself telling the Lord, Lord, don't ever let anything come and take my love away from you. I love this with all my heart. This has brought joy that nothing else has brought. Now, I can tell you for sure that when I was a sinner, there were times in which I thought that I was happy and I experienced some kind of a joy. But on the other hand, there were so many heartaches and so many disappointments and so many false things and you'd be laughing one moment and crying the next moment and you'd feel like that you were on cloud nine today and tomorrow. It was a different story altogether. 
But Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Praise God. You see, the devil can come and he kind of bait you, you know, with a little bit of joy and bait you with a little bit of peace and you can get involved and you think you have found uh, the, the great experience of life only to have all of that taken away from you tomorrow. But oh, thank God, when Jesus Christ came, and when we experienced the glorious power of the Holy Ghost in our hearts, in our lives, when our soul was made clean by the cleansing blood and agent of Jesus Christ, oh, there was a joy that came to our hearts, and there was a love that came to our soul, and there was a peace that settled inside, not as the world gives, but friend I've been walking with God now since 1961 and it's been there every day praise God that I have walked with God even in times when I've experienced uh, uh, some suffering and some pain undergirding me and undergirding that particular crisis that I happen to be involved in was the glory and the power and the joy of the Holy Ghost it was there and I could feel it, praise God. I've gone to the gravesides with mothers who have lost their children. I've gone to the gravesides of grandmothers who have lost their grandchildren. I've gone to the graveside of wives who have lost their husbands. I've gone to the graveside of husbands who have lost their wives. And oh, I've seen them stand there. And even though there were tears in their eyes, they have lifted their hands and with great joy they knew that there was a bright hope in the resurrection. Praise God. And they stood there and rejoiced over the fact that there was a God that loved them and cared for them. And there was undergirding them of everlasting peace and joy that surpasses the imagination of man. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Verse 12 of Colossians 1, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Praise God. Isn't that great? Did you know that everything that God has can become ours? We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, joint heir simply means that everything that belongs to Jesus Christ will belong to us. He will share that with us. Now, can you believe that? He will share that with us. And you know, the good thing about heaven is this. Even though there, there is much emphasis placed in the Bible on good works, and we read a scripture already, and you're hearing tonight concerning this, heaven is a place... That you really don't get there because you earned it or worked for it. But you get there because you inherit it. Why am I going to heaven? Because I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I inherit heaven. Now verse 13. Who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Praise God. You remember when you were in sin? I'm sure all of you can remember this. I remember where I came from. And I remember how much heartache and how much pain and how much sorrow I had in my heart. I used to go over to uh, Brother Rutherford's home. Now, you uh, probably wouldn't understand this. Uh, sometimes you look at a preacher and 
especially a quality man like Brother Rutherford, and you think he's always been a saint. Well, see, when Brother Rutherford married my sister, he was a Baptist minister, and my sister was backslidden. And, of course, he had fallen in love with her, so they got uh, married. And uh, right away, my sister then uh, started talking to him about his faith because uh, she knew that uh, there was more to Bible salvation than just shaking a preacher's hand and so-called believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Brother Rutherford had established a couple of Baptist churches. But uh, what happened was that as uh, Sister Rutherford began to witness to him and talk to him about the Lord, then uh, he kind of dropped out of all religious work for a while. And can you believe that Brother Rutherford and I used to sit up and play cards all night long? Can you believe that? Just sit there and smoke cigarettes and play cards. And, man, we... We didn't do much gambling. We played with pennies sometimes or matches. But I had piles of matches this big, you know, in a smoke-covered room. And Now, you can hardly believe that, can you? Man, and we'd play and we'd play. And, and uh, Sister Rutherford would say, uh, you're going to have to go to bed, Jim. You know, you're working hard tomorrow. And we just keep on playing. We keep on playing. I used to go over to uh, uh, Sister Grant's uh, mother and dad's home. And, and Charlie was just a... Just a little squirt then. and uh, <clears throat> We used to play cards over there. Man, you talk about cigarette smoke and playing cards. And we'd play poker all night long. And, you know, you could hardly get up the next day. And yeah, I remember all those days. Oh, what a great, great life. You know why I changed? Because the greatness of it. Seems to fade away so quickly. You know, it just, you always have this empty feeling inside. You know, you always feel that there's something missing. You know the reason why you feel that way? Because there is indeed something missing. There is indeed something missing. And even though I, I enjoyed being around her folks and her brothers for a while, you know, you're always in quest for new friends and searching for new fellowships because you were disinterested at times. You became disinterested in your old friends and such. You know what? I can truthfully tell you, I'm going away this week to camp, but I miss all of you already. I'm homesick, and I haven't even left. I'm serious when I say that. There are times when I, I, I plan on going on to the conference or someplace and I'll be loading, it, loading everything in the van and I'll tell Sister Grant, I just don't want to go. And she says, why? I said, because I, I missed Thursday night service already. And I, she said, but hon, we haven't even gone. I said, I know, but don't you, don't you miss it already? And she'd say, yes. Uh, just like to be with God's people. Praise God. And you know what? I didn't choose a one of you as my brother or sister. And you didn't choose me. You know, that's a good thing about the house of God. Jesus said, hey, you didn't call me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Well, you know, John and Roy and Steve, they did not have anything to say about who their brother was going to be. We just brought one of them home and said, Welcome to the family, John. <laughs> later on, we brought Roy home and we said, Now, John, this is your brother. Love him. 
And then later on we brought Steve home and we said, Roy and John, now this is your little sister that was supposed to have been, but she didn't turn out quite right, but anyway, you love him. We wanted Steve to be a girl so much, and that's the reason why he had such sissy traits, you know. <laughs> uh, you know better than that. <laughs> we wanted to be a girl so much. Somebody came along and said, I'll tell you what, you may have wanted a girl, but he's a boy all the way. <laughs> and I praise God for boys that act like boys. Amen. Praise God. But you know, it's such a great life, and we've had a great life together. And it's that same way. We baptized this Jill this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jill is definitely afraid of water. And I think we put her down about six times, didn't we, Brother O'Neill? At least six, I think. Five, you say? Five or six times her brother drowned. And I think she was watching her brother. And so and she was afraid to go under. And we said the baptismal formula, and Brother O'Neill tried to get her under, and she, you know, got, got under a little bit, and then she, she got afraid. And finally, what we had to do is say, Now, Jill, we want you to kneel down. And so she knelt down. We said the baptismal formula. She held her nose, and we tried to push her under the water. And we still couldn't push her under the water, you know. And finally we said, Okay, let's all relax. Let's do it all over again. Now, baptism is a type of the burial of the Lord. Now, some people might question and say, well, don't you think it's your intent? Well, I'd, I'm not going to say that if we neglected simply because that we did not know that she hadn't gone under, that God would not count that as a valid baptism. But you see, we were standing there and we knew that she hadn't. And we just like to be on the safe side and we like to do it like the Scripture says do it. And so finally, we said the baptismal formula, and Jill held her nose, and without any assistance of us, she went under herself there. Praise God. And you know, when she came up, she began to just speak with other tongues and magnify God, and, and there, was a, there was a beam that came across her face. Praise God. And, and she was just beside herself. And, and she said, you know, the cold water's not cold anymore. And I could stay in this the rest of my life. And oh, this is so great and so wonderful. And praise God, praise God, praise God. And you know, you go through things like this with people. And you see the joy of the Lord flood their soul. Praise God. And you take on a real love. It's like God just bringing this child to us and said, Here she is, brand new, in the family of God. Now we don't have an option as to whether we love her or not. God didn't give it an option. He just gave her to us and said, Take care of her and love her. This was a commandment gave, given to Peter and the apostles. Take heed unto the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers, which God had purchased with the shedding of His own blood. Praise God. And so here she is, a new babe in the body of Christ. Friend, you won't find love any place like you find in a true blood-bought, apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled church. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. But all oh, those dark moments, I still remember those. 
You know, I think it was as hard for me to repent as anybody I have ever dealt with in my life. You know, and you, I, I had to deal with myself just like I have to deal with some people. It, it seems so easy for some people. I've gone to some people and said, now you need to repent of your sins. Yes. And what does that mean? Ask God to forgive you of everything. I've seen people just kneel down and say, God, I want you to forgive me of everything. And you know, the tears started flowing and they were just so humble and submissive to God. Now, I wasn't that way. I really wasn't that way. Why? You know what happened to me? I'd get down to pray and I could just wrestle with myself. Oh, I saw all of my friends lined up one after another. You know, you have some of these hang-ups. And each one I was asking, do you still like me? And they all said, no. No. No, I went down. You know, I had all of these things that I, you know. And, and while I was praying, I thought, oh, all of my friends now, that none of them like me now. You know, and then, then after a while, uh, uh, I, I began to think about church, you know, three, four times a week. And what if we have a revival and I have to come? And that's before we invented rest nights. So I'd have to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and twice on Sunday. And sometimes I ran revivals for four, five, six weeks. And I thought, man, I don't know if I can hack that. You know? And I could see the preacher up announcing, six-week revival, Sunday through Saturday, eight times in seven days. Now, I didn't care anything about all that many services. I really didn't. And down the line, I could see the preacher standing there and he was preaching against sin and I was a cigarette smoker. I tried to quit smoking cigarettes so I started smoking cigars. So I'd smoke one cigar after my noon meal. It didn't seem quite as sinful, one. Even though the thing was this long and that big around, see? It didn't seem quite as bad. But I smoked one cigar and then I'd lay all the cigars down. I say, I'm not going to smoke any, but I'd go back and I'd pick them up. After a while, when I'd go in the store, I was stopping by and buying one cigar a day. After a while, I stopped in and I bought just boxes of them, you know, take them out. Told my wife, I said, so I won't have to stop so often, you know. They say, every time you make a stop, you burn up a gallon of gasoline. You know, I had all these kind of ways, see. Isn't it great to just see people just come and humble themselves and say, forgive me, God? It was not that easy for me. I don't know if I was stubborn or just what the deal was. I know I was strong-willed. I didn't really. I wanted to live for God, but it was not that easy for me to make up my mind. But I'll tell you one thing. Oh, when I gave my heart to the Lord and I was filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, God just changed me inside. How can such a change take place? Do you think the blood has something to do with that? Yes, it does. And that's what we want to talk about here in remaining time that we have left. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. We 
can associate ourselves with that gospel by nailing our sinful flesh to the cross with the Lord. Do you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross and the Bible says we are crucified with Him? Now, I know that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died upon the cross, He had every last one of us in mind. And when He was nailed to the tree, when His flesh became submissive to death, and that's what repentance is all about. It's submitting yourself to death. And when we say to death, we're talking about death of sin. It's making up your mind and submitting to it. I have always contended this since I have gained an understanding through my own experience relative to serving God. The biggest hang-up you can have about laying sin aside is the hang-up between your two ears. It's a matter of having a hard head. And it's a matter of not making up your mind. But if you can make up your mind and submit yourself to God, repentance becomes a fairly easy thing. While it is death, Jesus Christ submitted himself to death, even to the death of the cross. And this is what we have to do. We have to become submissive in repentance to the Lord. Now that's not something we do when we originally come to God, but it's something we do every day. And I just really praise God for a real understanding of repentance in the Scripture. Repentance really becomes a basic attitude that you live in every day. The Bible says, if a man exalt himself, exalteth himself, he shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And really, true repentance is a humble state of and an attitude that a man lives in. When Paul speaks of men who ought not think themselves more highly than their brethren, he's talking about a humble attitude. How can we submit ourselves to each other? Because we are constantly submitting ourselves to God. But the Christian who becomes arrogant and self-willed and stubborn and rebellious against God cannot submit himself to his brothers. He can't do it. He absolutely cannot do it. And maybe I'm talking to somebody here tonight who has spiritual hang-ups. That you're doing things that you know that's wrong, but you continue to do them, and you seem to lack the understanding to put that thing aside and stop it. Now, when we came and gave ourselves to the Lord at the altar, really repented, we nailed our flesh to His cross. But the gospel is not just the death of an individual, it is also the burial of an individual. And I suppose my experience in baptism had such a great, astounding effect on my relationship with the Lord. How many of you remember when you were baptized in Jesus' name? Oh, I remember that. Praise God. Now, I just, I place a lot of importance on baptism because I just feel 
that baptism is such a vital, vital, vital experience with the Lord. Now what we want to do, we want to just stop here and we want to go to Colossians, the second chapter, verse 8. And we want to talk about baptism here for a moment. Now notice what Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And listen, there's a lot of traditional teachings that go on in churches that are not valid teachings. When I say valid, I'm talking about according to the Scripture. People are saying, Well, we never baptize in water by immersion. Why? That's not our tradition. Well, I was baptized when I was a little infant. They took water and poured over my head. That's not a valid scriptural teaching. But we've always done it this way. That's not a valid reason. Praise God. But see, people are taking it that way. Let's go on and read verse 9. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In who? Jesus Christ. Praise God. You see our signs all around here? We publish His name. We wear His name. There is none other name. And His name is Jesus. For He shall save His people from their sins. And friend, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Praise God. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete. Let's say that together. Complete. Let's say it again. Complete. Let's say it again. Complete. In Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And what he's saying, that no longer is it a physical circumcision of the foreskin of the flesh, but it is, is the cutting off of the old body of sin inside the heart. That God comes down and he has a method in which he can circumcise. He has a method in which he can cut away the old sinful flesh from the heart of man. Praise God. Now let's go on. Notice what Paul then says. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Praise God. Now, verse 14 has this to say. I mean, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Praise God. Now, when you repent, God forgives you. But notice this, according to the context of the Scripture, when you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just forgiveness, but complete removal, circumcision, the cutting away of that dead uh, uh, decay from your very innermost being, it's separated as far as the north is from the south and the east is from the west. God literally separates that from you. And notice what verse 14 says. Blotting out all the handwriting 
of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. That simply means that the law of the Old Testament found every man guilty. And the Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. But when God looked at the blackboard that listed all of our sins, where we had transgressed against the ordinance of God, God took out the eraser and he went up there and he says, I want you to take a careful look of your death. It has been pronounced. It is written on the eternal walls of destiny. But I'm going to take my blood and I'm going to erase it. And when you look at it from now on, you'll see a clear slate. There'll be nothing written against you and nothing recorded in the books. So when you stand before God to be judged, there will be nothing to condemn you. And that's why Romans, the first chapter, or the eighth verse, uh, chapter 8, rather, verse 1, the Bible says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Brother Cox, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ just came and looked at my sinful heart one day and he said, you can't do anything about your sin and nobody can do anything about your sin but through my death and my burial and my resurrection I have appropriated blood that's powerful enough to reach inside your heart and take it all away and cast it into hell so that you don't have to go there. Praise God. I don't know of anything I like to preach about more than I like to preach about the gospel. Praise God. Now, sometimes we can get on negative things, and we have to get on negative things. But this is a very, very powerful thing that we're talking about here tonight. A very, very powerful thing. Praise God. And so as a result, notice what verse 16 says. And I like verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now you remember in the Old Testament, all the way back in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and God rested on the seventh day from all of His labor. And when the Mosaic law came into effect, in Exodus, the 20th chapter, the Bible tells us that one of the Ten Commandments was this. Six days thou shalt labor. On the seventh day it shall be a day of rest. And so in the household of Israel, when the seventh day rolled around, they all sit down and they didn't work anymore and they didn't labor anymore and they took their naps and they rested all day. Oh, it was such a glorious day. Praise God. you like rest? You know you like rest. And some of you men who are working overtime and long hours, oh, what a great opportunity it is to have a day like today where you can take a Sunday afternoon nap. Isn't that great? Praise God. I mean, you can just go and you can stretch out and, and it doesn't make any difference. You don't feel guilty about it. Now, a guy who's laying around on Monday, he usually has something to bother his conscience. And a guy who lays around on Tuesday, same thing happens. Uh, Wednesday, same old conscience, throbbing, bothering, nagging. Here comes Saturday. Uh, I still have responsibilities, but but uh, when the day of rest comes, it uh, it's all right. Everybody expects me to be laying around today. You see, now this happened to be 
God's idea. However, what the Bible is saying is that this day of rest was a shadow and a type of things to come. Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12 says, For line must be upon line, and precept must be upon precept. Line upon line, and precept upon precept. Notice what he said. For with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest. Now what the scripture is actually saying, This is the Sabbath. Praise God. Isn't that great? This is the Sabbath. And when Paul says, let no man judge you in, in this and that and the other, and especially uh, in holy days or the Sabbath day, what he's saying is that you have received the eternal Sabbath in your soul. Praise God. How did you receive the eternal Sabbath in your soul? Because you nailed your body of sin to the cross and you allowed the Holy Word of God to come inside and circumcise you and God took a a bloodbath inside of your soul. He's put His blood there and blotted all the handwriting of ordinances that were written against you that said death. And then God came down and put His Holy Spirit inside of you after He cleaned you up. And He said, this is the rest. Or this is the Sabbath. Oh, praise God, praise God. And Brother Cox, while some people are laboring day after day after day, you and I, the reason why that we're so happy and we look so refreshed and we always have a smile on our face instead of a frown is because we are sitting in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is a constant rest for the soul. It's a real Sabbath indeed. Praise God. I know what it's like to labor on the load of sin. But the Bible does say the way of the transgressor is a hard way. But Jesus said, Come unto me all of you that labor and are of heavy laden. I will give you rest. Praise God. Isn't that great? He said, Take my yoke upon you. Praise God. And isn't it great to be able to yoke yourself up with the Lord? I don't remember when it's the last time I've seen one, but it, it's so great. You know, you see the yoke, and every time I see a yoke, I think of what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you. He said, learn of me. He said, my yoke is easy. Isn't that something? You know, the devil had all my friends lined up. He had the preacher standing up preaching all those messages. And I saw all those revival services. You know, the strange thing about it is that after I received the Holy Ghost, I wonder why we didn't have more of them. And while everybody's wanting to go home, I was wanting to pray longer. I was wanting to, I just was wanting to stay there. And people were saying, my, didn't I preach or preach long? I didn't think he preached quite long enough. It was just great. Praise God. I mean, it was just great. And, of course, back then we didn't have but just a handful of people. And, and uh, the pastor stood up before the church and said, well, one thing for sure, John makes up for all the empty pews in here. Man, I, I tell you, I just love the Lord. I really love the Lord. I did a lot of things that I had to be corrected for. But nevertheless, I had a real genuine love for the Lord. And there was such a peace and such a joy and such a rest.
that came to my soul. Now, Hebrews, the ninth chapter, verse 14, is such a glorious chapter indeed. Or scripture indeed, not chapter. The whole ninth chapter is is a great chapter. It talks about the ordinances of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that they were just mere types and shadows of things to come. Verse 13, For the blood of bulls and of goats, and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. Notice what it says. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And you see, that's exactly what happens. When you go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your conscience is purged and cleansed. Now, we know that it happens in baptism for this reason. 1 Peter 3.21, if you will turn there with me. 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 21 the Bible says the light figure whereinto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about baptism. When you are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, H2O, the chemical components of water, do not have the power to take away sin. Now, you might be able to get some soap and some water, and you may be able to scrub some filth of the flesh. That's what he's talking about when he speaks of the filth of the flesh. You may be able to scrub away some dirty marks that you got through gardening or working around the house. But when you go down in baptism, you call a name. That name is Jesus, the one who shed his blood. And that name identifies the blood that does its work inside of your heart. Oh, praise God. And that blood is applied. And when you come up out of that tank, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, there is such a relief. This is the reason why you find people jumping up and shouting. You fill a balloon with helium, it's lighter than air. What happens when you let it go? It ascends. And you know what happens to man when he has relief inside of his soul? He jumps up. You remember Chuck Berger? A lot of you remember Chuck Berger. Chuck Berger was a man involved in the Air Force here. I think you're living in England at this time. But uh, he heard about our church, so he came out, and he, he wanted to know, how many Calvary Gospel churches are there in the world? I said, well, I'm not really for sure our church is affiliated with United Pentecostal Church. At any rate, I pulled out a handbook that says United Pentecostal Church, and I started showing him through this. He said, I'm not interested in that. He said, if you can prove what you believe by the Bible, I'll take it. But if you can't, let's forget about the organization. Well, that's what I wanted to hear him say. I don't like to pull out that book and show people that anyway. It's not that I'm against our organization, but friend, the organization and the church sign and the church name don't save you. 
But I'll tell you what, that name will save you. And only that name will save you. And no other name will save you. Praise God. So I went through the scripture with Chuck. And Chuck came in here and of course we took his wife and baptized her. And she received the Holy Ghost and he just sat. And we clapped our hands and everything. He called me and he said, you know I kind of like your church except. He said, all that loud noise. Now there is absolutely no sense in people demonstrating like that. But he let me know for his wife's sake he was going to come. I preached one Sunday morning. The Lord got a hold of his heart. He came down and just knelt at the altar. And he didn't seem to do much praying. But he looked up to me and said, I'm ready to be baptized. And I said, he, But he said, you know, I'm not the, the loud, jumpy type. I said, well, you just submit yourself unto the Lord, Chuck. And we talked to him. And he was very sincere. He wanted to serve God. I had gone over and taught them two or three search for truths during this time. So I took him into the baptismal tank, and he just stood there, and I baptized him in Jesus' name, and would you believe that when he came up, he shot out of that baptismal tank like a rifle bullet out of a gun barrel. He went way up here, he hit this cross, he splattered water all over the place, he got everybody wet, he was having an apostolic fit indeed. You wouldn't believe I mean, he was beside himself. And after it was over with, I asked Chuck. I said, Chuck, I thought you were the quiet type. He said, you know, it seems like that when I went down, that there was a big weight that was taken off of me. So that when I came back up, there was just something about it. I just propelled right in the air. I couldn't help it, he said. And he said, you know what? He said, I cannot understand why we don't have more demonstration at Calvary Gospel Church. <laughs> and you remember how he used to clap his hands? Oh, he'd clap his hands and he'd sing. And every now and then I'd remind him. You know what he said? He said, Brother Grant, really it was like a ton of bricks came off of my soul. He said, God just gave me a clear conscience. I had no fear of anybody. You know, there's no feeling in the world, listen to me, maybe I'm talking to somebody here tonight who really needs this. There's no feeling in all the world like the feeling you get when you kill those sins and you have them removed by the blood of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You don't know what it's like. There's some people who go around with grudges, hating people, cursing, swearing, always having bad feelings. Oh, listen, when you empty that garbage out of your soul like you empty out a rotten garbage can on Monday morning, friend, it brings a sweet savor to the household. Praise God. All the pollution and all the garbage has been dumped into hell, the sea of forgetfulness. Praise God. But nothing can do it but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. In my closing scripture tonight, I'd like for you to turn with me to Revelation 5. Revelation 5, verse 1 through verse 7. The church is in heaven here. And there is great contemplation concerning the judgment that will come upon the face of the earth. 
How is it going to come? We know it's going to come because men are so evil. The church is in heaven. The church is raptured in Revelation 4.1 through the open door that was opened into heaven. Now notice what happens when John takes that ride in the Spirit almost 2,000 years ago. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now what that is saying, it's like a book that is sealed up. It's sealed with seven seals. And this book contains judgment. But the judgment will not fall upon man until some worthy person can come and pull the seals back and open the book that brings judgment. And John's big question when he saw the church in heaven, who among the churches worthy? Who's worthy? Daniel the prophet? Ezekiel the prophet? Noah the righteous man who was called a perfect man? Job who was also called a perfect man? Zechariah, Malachi, Elisha, Moses, Abraham, Isaac. Who can do it? Now notice what he said. And no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. That simply means that John in the Spirit went over someplace outside of the throne and he got down. He knew the end was coming and judgment had already been promised. But when he looked, he didn't see one worthy soul. Why? Because every man there was there because of grace. Not because he really deserved. For they were all sinners that had been cleansed with his blood. And he got down and he literally cried. And he wept and he sobbed. Why? Because the end has been promised. And this is part of prophecy. The holy city and life eternal and everything. Is contingent upon the fulfillment of this event. For judgment must surely come. And he was weeping. And all of a sudden, out of the midst of the throne came a lamb. One by the name of Jesus Christ walked out. And he took the book out of him that's set upon the throne. Now this is not talking about the Trinity. The church is around the throne. Jesus was in the midst of the throne. 
The church had the book in their hand. And God, in lamb form, walks up to the church and takes it out and walks over to the balconies of heaven and began to pull back the seals. Only he was worthy. Why? Because he who knew no sin was capable of bringing judgment to the world. Only he is worthy. And friend, when we are granted a crown of eternal life, we must kneel at his feet and take off our crown and lay it at his feet and say, Unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. I am here not because of how good I am, but because of how pure He is. I am here not because I deserve it, but because I inherit it. And did you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient tonight for you? Unworthy you are, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish life brother O'Neill is in the blood praise God and there is a fountain that flows from Emmanuel's veins it's a pure stream of blood that can come inside of your soul, run through your heart, and clean you up tonight. Would you stand with me? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want you to sing with me, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place. You see, the blood is applied by the Spirit, the Bible says. Would you welcome the Holy Spirit to visit you right now? And as He visits you, would you exercise faith in Him by stepping out and coming and surrendering your life to Him? Would, then you, would you then make that step toward baptism in His precious name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost? And eternal life is yours simply by asking and believing. Praise God. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome.